0: Heavenly Father, we truly do need you this morning. We want to dive into your word, open it up, and let it speak to us that we might be overwhelmed by the truth that you have written from eternity past. We want to be overwhelmed by it. We want to be moved by it. We want to go from here different from how we've come, closer resembling your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who you made manifest before us, that we would no longer be as we once were, but be changed forever through his marvelous work and faith, and his saving power that he showed us through the cross. We thank you in the precious name of our Savior, the author of life, the Lord Jesus Christ, we do pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Christian, and I'm going to dismiss the children. I did not forget. Thank you, Michelle. Michelle's is going to make sure I stay on task this morning, but I'm going to dismiss the children up to fourth grade. No, don't interrupt the flow when the flow's going. That's embarrassing. Like it happened this morning, maybe. Let's just. Let's just say that might have happened. So I'm Christian Snedeker. You don't have to remember that. That's not that important. You could could call me not Pastor Chuck. That might be easier to remember. Hey, not Pastor Chuck. That's me. So if you're coming up to me afterwards and you say you're um, not Pastor Chuck, that will probably stand out more. I do attend here at Calvary with my wife, who's uh, not Pastor Chuck's wife. Uh, She's my wife. She's Rachel, and we have three children. And my children, if you do anything with children's ministry, You've probably had to wrangle my son and my daughter at some point, and I have a little baby that we wrangle right now, but they'll be be your problem in a little while. So so glad to be part of Calvary and glad to fill in. I not only get to share Pastor Chuck's pulpit for a minute, but also his chest cold. So pray for my voice as I make it through this final sermon this morning. God has been gracious to me as he's called me to preach and he's sustained me through it. We're going to jump right in this morning, right in. So if you look in front of you, you might have a Bible in the seat in front of you. Or maybe you brought your own, which is great as well. We're in Acts chapter 3. You perhaps have a smartphone. On the smartphone, you don't even have to look it up. You just put in Acts, and then you count 1, 2, 3, and you're there. Acts chapter 3. It's very simple. So that's what we're going to be diving into. It's also, just for your convenience, going to be up on the screen, just in case you don't want to do any of the, the above recommendations. The number in your pew Bible is number 772 is the page. So see I all that work for you, so follow along with me if you can. Acts chapter 3, let's read it together, down through verse 16. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our power or our piety, we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health and the presence of you all. Is that a beautiful passage? What I love about uh, putting this message together is several weeks ago, Pastor Chuck called me and said, you know, I'm going to be out of town for this weekend, and would you be interested uh, in taking this the, this Sunday and this Saturday? And I said, sure, uh, what's the theme? What are, you, what are you working on? What's the Lord laid on your heart? And he said, you know, I really want it to be, as we enter into this this new year, Psalm 96, discussing, declaring his salvation to the entire world and how beautiful that is, and that our very stories should reflect his glory. And so when he said that our story, his glory, my story, his glory, when I'm thinking through that, I go right away to Acts chapter 3 because I'm thinking as, as uh, uh, Peter so rightly identified Christ in this moment as the author of life because I love a good story. Anybody like to read in here? Anybody big readers? I know my wife is. I know my sister-in-law is. They grew up with a mom who worked in a library, and so they got books all the time. And this is what frustrates me, and I think it frustrates my brother-in-law, Josh, too, is like, you know, we'll start a book, And it will take us like a month to get through it. And our wives will get through 12 books in the same amount of time. They can just pour through those books. But to me, I just like getting into the story and being wrapped up into it and kind of sucking the marrow out of it. I like series. But you gotta capture me right away with a great beginning. That opening line has to be really good. There's some great opening lines out there, ones that we all know. What about this one? Do you know this? It was the best of times. It was the... We know that one. That's great. Same author, different book. Marley was dead to begin with. That's a great opening line. How about this one? Call me Ishmael. You know that book? It's Moby Dick. I've never read it. I just wanted to sound smart by knowing it. (laughs) There's C.S. Lewis, who's one of my favorites. I've read almost all the books that I could get my hand on by C.S. Lewis, but by far, my favorite, in my opinion, of course, is sound in this, is that when my favorite start to a book is this. There was a boy called Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved it. It's a great start to a book. That's the Dawn Treader, just in case you wanna go read it today. Eustace Clarence Scrub. Maybe I'm a little high highfalutin' for you all. I'll bring it down just a little bit. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. That's a great start to a great story. And this is what has become clear to me about uh, Peter in this, in this story in Acts chapter 3. What's changed in his life? Because if you just go back just a few days, really... He's standing and denying the one that he called and identified as God, as his teacher, as the Messiah. He's denying them in front of his countrymen. He won't admit and confess that he is truly a follower of Jesus as he's watching Jesus being marched off to the cross. And here he is only mere a few days later and he can do nothing else but confess that I have followed the author of life, that you look at me for the wrong reasons. It's by the faith in his name that this man is healed in front of you. The man that you crucified, Jesus, whom God has pulled out and anointed and exalted above all. We crucified him, the author of life. What's changed? And my feeling is that Peter finally understood, and I get this from the very title he's giving him, Jesus, the author of life, that he is part of this beautiful story that God has woven from the very beginning, manifest fully in the person of Jesus, fully tangible in him. And by faith in his name, what wonders it produces. And some of us forget that in the front of your bulletin, I've written something to this So this, like uh, some of us forget that our story is actually only a piece of the greater story that begins before anything was created, that God has been perfectly weaving, beautifully weaving throughout history, but it all starts at the beginning. From the very beginning, that's the start of our story. In the beginning, and what a great concept that line is because it's saying before anything ever was, before ever time began, there was God. In the beginning, God. He existed always. And here's what's so beautiful about it. He didn't just exist. He existed in relationship. In the beginning, God was in relationship. He wasn't alone. He's one God revealed to us in three persons. Colossians 1, 15 through 17 tells us this. All things were created through him, that is Jesus the Son, and for him. The Son always existed. Hebrews 1 tells us that the Father and Son always existed together. He was not created. Above all creation stood Jesus. Revelations 3.14 tells us that Jesus was the witness of all creation. What a wonderful title that is. But they didn't just coexist. No, they loved each other. There was a deep, loving, committed, infinitely intimate oneness between them. I love how Proverbs 8 tells us it's revealing wisdom, the wisdom it took to create. But before anything was created, here was the wisdom personified in the Son And it says that before anything was created, that God the Father's full delight was in the Son, the wisdom of Jesus Christ. They were fully delighted in each other. So last night we sang a song, a hymn that I grew up singing, and it has lyrics that talk about if we could draw up all the water of the oceans of this world, and they were but ink to write the story, and we could take every stalk of grass and make quills out of them. And right across scrolls as big as the sky, we could never exhaust telling the story of God's love. It is so infinitely great. And what I want you to know about that, that infinitely great love preexisted any of us, any of creation. It was already there. So in Acts chapter 17, it says God created, but what did he need out of creation? He needed nothing, which is a marvelous distinction between us and other people who say they believe in one God but don't believe in a trinity, this idea of community and relationship and deep, infinitely intimate love that existed beforehand. Do you know in other faiths that, that believe in a monolithic God that they believe that only that God could experience love by creating by having creation, he could only experience community and relationship by creating. That God is a God dependent on his creation, not our God. No, our God had a love worth writing about across the skies before the skies were even created. In the beginning, God was in relationship, yet, he lacked nothing and yet still chose to create. And so he spoke. And why did he create? Because out of that love, what bubbled up over out of that glory and love that that was wonderful before the world began, he spoke into being. It says in the Old Testament that he's loved us with an everlasting, eternal love. And out of that love, he created us. And so what did he do? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the skies and the waters. And he separated the waters and he created order, all things reflecting him. And he created grass and vegetation and animals, all things that spoke and whispered his name and his creation. They all said something about him, but only one, only one pinnacle of his creation bore his image. And we can see in Genesis chapter one, it says, let us, The community, the relationship, let us make man in our image that he might enjoy our love and our glory. Let us create out of that love and glory that he might enjoy our love and our glory, that they might be reflections of that. What does it mean to bear the image of God? that we might walk into a building today and maybe get a glimpse of what it's like. It's like walking into a building and you see somebody's picture on a wall. I work for Lake Geneva Youth Camp and Conference Point Center. And what's wonderful is we have all these great families that have been part of our, our history over time. And the first time I ever came to camp, I saw this picture of a guy named John Hike. I'd never heard of him before, but he's one of the founding uh, members of our camp. And his image is, is there on a wall that we walk into and you can't avoid seeing his face. And you know that something about that guy lives on, his legacy lives on. This building, in fact, might be here because of this man. There's something about this camp that we embody out of the character of John Hike who embodied out of the character of Jesus Christ. The building was an image bearer of him. We, in fact, are image bearers of God so that if, that, that if sin had never entered this world, there would be 7 billion people right now reflecting God's image. Dwell on that for a moment. Billions reflecting the image of God perfectly. So God created us. Out of his love, the author of life writes you into a story out of the overflowing goodness of his glory and love that we might bear his image. That's pretty amazing, but it's not the end of the story because from the beginning, God also knew all that you were meant to be, all that he created you to embody, the image bears that you were supposed to be in this world, and he knew that you would take all that and you would break his very heart with sin that we would break his heart with sin. And so from the very beginning, God planned our salvation. God planned our salvation. So he didn't need to create. He created out of his boundless love, and he knew he, we would sin, so he planned our salvation. But what does it say in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4? That he chose us. Ephesians chapter one, verse four, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Do you hear what that says? He chose you, he chose us, he chose the world even though that choice was not a simple choice because it would cost him everything, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19 says, but with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, that's the perfect person, character of Jesus Christ, the blood of Christ, for he was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. He who was present and perfect from the beginning would give up everything. Choosing you came at a great cost. And yet he writes his story that he would come in the flesh, that at just the right time, being the author, being omniscient, knowing all things, he knew at just the right time, Romans chapter five, verse seven, at just the right time, in the fullness of time, he would come to do what he planned to do from the very beginning. So in the beginning, he wrote his story, and he was willing to execute it. And here he is, in John chapter one, it says, in the beginning again. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. At some point, all his plans had to actually manifest themselves and they do and the fact that he, the person who created us to bear his image actually came and took on our image that he could take our place and he could show us something wonderful, a moral, wonderful life, a life worth emulating the word being the full expression of God. It wasn't one word. It was everything you wanna know about God who has been invisible to this point. He's making tangible now. He's making it personified in front of you, a person for you to connect with so that you might know what he's like and how he dwelt among us in perfection and he understood our weaknesses completely and he challenged our self-righteousness and he shared our burdens and he wept over our sins and he humiliated himself. And he reached out, he tenderly loved, and he never wavered from his purpose. Because the time had come for him not to just take on flesh. It didn't just end there. He wasn't just there to be a model of lifestyle for us. He was there to, in fact, go to the cross for us to fulfill his purpose. The time had come to realize his purpose. And as he's drawing away from his public ministry, he's done all these public miracles up until John chapter 12, and he starts to pull away and become more intimate with his disciples. And he's preparing them for him not being there anymore. And down to his very heart and soul, he cries out to his Father. And he has one of the most beautiful interactions that we should reflect upon. Now my very soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. He came for this purpose. That the glory that was there from the beginning that the author of life had from the beginning might be known and restored, even though our sin had marred it and made it confused, that it might be said again, that through his love and through his glory would be recognized in the fullness of the cross, that we might be reconciled to him and that God would in fact be glorified. This is a true statement above all statements, Paul says. This is an axiom above all things you've ever heard, that the reason Christ came and Christ died on the cross was to save sinners. So when we come down to John 17 and he's really close to going to the cross, he does this one last amazing act He allows us into what intimate love he had with his father from the beginning, and we get this beautiful picture that if it wasn't spoken out loud, if John wasn't able to record this chapter, it would have been a great detriment to us because we would have never seen how intimately close they truly were. And he comes to his father, and he's bowing before him, and we get to hear what it's like, what's that communion like, and he talks about how, how unified they were from the very beginning, how glorified Jesus was from the beginning, how close and perfectly intimate they were from the beginning. And he know what he says. He wants all of us to experience that. John chapter 17, verse three says, that they might know you, that they might know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That is eternal life. That is life fully forever, what they were created for. That they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And Jesus only asked one thing for himself in that prayer, glorify your servant that I might turn around and glorify you, Father. That they might know your love and that they might know our glory from the very beginning. And the last thing he prays, which is really interesting, is for our unity, for our oneness to reflect his oneness, But also he does not pray that we would be removed from this world. And I want you to note that for a few more minutes. He does not pray that we would be removed from this world. He prays that we would stay in this world but be protected from the evil one. He does not pray that we would be removed from this world. He prays that we would continue on in this world but we would be protected from the evil one. So as he comes to the cross in Matthew 27 we are reminded of how deeply wounding this event is of him going to the cross and what a marvelous choice he in fact made because he goes to the cross and he goes up on the cross and he cries out seven statements before his father. One that pierces my heart more than the other ones, which is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, Daddy, Daddy, why have you forsaken me? And a lot of theologians ask questions, and a lot of us might have asked that question, like, why did he ask that question? I ask a different question. What's the answer? What's the answer to that question? My God, my God, why? What is the answer to that question? You are the answer to that question. We are the answer to that question. By his love and for his glory, he has given us new life that we may know him, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. And don't miss that second piece, not just why, but why have you forsaken me? Do you understand? Do you see where we started? We started all the way back at the beginning where there was perfect, intimate, infinite love. All he had from the very beginning was all he needed. Perfect community with his father. Perfect love exchanged between father and son. And for the first time, for your benefit, he could not feel his dad. He gave that for you. So when we talk about the value of life this morning, and thank you, Glenn, again, for bringing that, that wonderful declaration that life truly does have value And value was given to us in the very creative mind of God before anything was created, but it was made most clear through his willingness to give his very life for you and feel that very separation from the love and tangible closeness of his Father that he had known from the very beginning. That's how much your life is worth. That's how much he wants you part of his story. That is what he wrote from the beginning but the story isn't over yet, but the story isn't over yet. He did not pray that you'd be removed from this world, but that you would stay in this world and be protected from the evil one because now you've been restored to do what you were meant to from the beginning, that you would know and enjoy his love and that you would go and reflect his glory, that we would enjoy fully his love And that we would go and reflect his glory. We've been restored. How can we hear about a love that would give up that much and be idle with what God has given us when he has called us to be active, to go forward from this place, to be members of this world, both here in Walworth County and all over the globe? And opportunities keep knocking at your door. Pastor Dave just came up and told you about Pathways, a chance to hear about what's going on in the global missions. I want you to take note as Michelle comes up with the band that uh, I think most of the band is in high school or younger. That's beautiful. Because these kids said, I know I'm part of a story and I'm going to answer the call of God. God. So as they come up, note that there's no excuse for you. If you know this truth, that your story, my story should reflect in fact his glory. That we declare his salvation, that Walworth County is never the same when we leave this building. And it doesn't take getting involved in a direct ministry. You can be a carpenter, an electrician. I've seen all these people. I was in banking for 13 years and when I left, They said, We know we can rise because of faith, that you left us a legacy of faith. And I take that with me as I told these people about Jesus as I was a banker. What God has called you to, do you feel privileged in what you've been called to, to declare his glory through the story that you're part of and in the place that God has you? That takes out a lot of complaining, doesn't it? That keeps us focused. This is only for but a time, but his glory and his love, we live out for eternity. Let's sing in praise together.